technically diverse podcast featuring the Quadcast crew. Welcome to episode 13 of the Technically Diverse Podcast. We are located at the intersection of technology and cultural diversity. I am your host, Jordan. Co-hosting the pod is our resident adrenaline junkie. Her name is Ruby, a.k.a. Msako. What does that mean, Ruby? What does that mean? So what that means is um, let the truth be known and let the victory be his. So let the truth and victory be with you as well. Ooh, yeah, okay. that's you beautiful. Guys Behind the scene is working his magic is Uncle Mike. Remember, if it ain't Mike, it ain't right. Hey, how's it going, everybody? And keeping us in line and doling out law and order is our producer, Roz, a.k.a. Peaches. All right. So Technically Diverse wants to welcome Sandy Gurwal here today. She is a project management consultant who also serves on the board of member of Save a Food Bank and is a current chair of the Sikh Heritage uh, Foundation, uh, the Ontario chapter. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I, I'm, I'm happy to be here. Awesome. So we're really excited to get right into it and be able to kind of a understand what is Sikh Heritage Month and b what has been your experience launching this and what ultimately is the Sikh faith and uh, your experiences my experiences that we can kind of start sharing so uh, if you can begin with describing what Sikh Heritage, Heritage Month is and what it took to get here today Absolutely. For it. So again, thank you for having me. Uh, I'll try to keep everything kind of short and concise um, and, and uh, get right into it. So for Sikh Heritage Month, um, it was officially passed back in 2013. Uh, so the then sitting MPP of the riding at that time, which was Bramley Gore Moulton, uh, he brought this forward. It was Jagmeet Singh. He brought this forward as a private member's bill. Um, it was passed unanimously in the Ontario um, legislature and it was passed officially, I believe, December 2013. And I actually had an uh, Instagram live with him to kick off the carriage month this this month, uh, just on Thursday. And I asked him, you know, the idea behind why he it was so important for him to bring this forward and why it was so important to have the heritage month um, in Ontario. And he said, you know, it, it stems from his experience growing up. Um, as a Sikh, as a visible Sikh, and he went through so many issues, racism, discrimination, you know, physical violence, and he really wanted to bring forward um, Sikhi in a way that was understandable, that was tangible, and just it, it, a general education of Sikhism, because he believes that all of his experiences, which I think are collectively all of our lived experiences as Sikhs growing up in the 80s and 90s here in Ontario, um, they don't stem from a place of hate, but they stem from just a lack of awareness, a lack of education. So if we could get that education out there in a formal way, hopefully we can change the narrative. And so for our next generation, our kids, our grandkids, hopefully uh, the path will be a little easier than what maybe we experienced. Sorry, I just- Continue, continue, continue. Okay, continue. <laughs> so, Hopefully it's a little easier than what we had experienced. So he wanted to uh, have this opportunity to, on an official level, uh, provide a month long of just education, celebration of what is Sikh heritage, what is Sikh culture. Uh, and we found that since 2013, now we've been doing these month long events uh, every April uh, in Ontario. And I'm, I'm happy to say that since then though, there have been many cities across Ontario, across Canada, and eventually then, uh, Canada, on a federal level, actually, April was also officially declared Sikh Heritage Month. So we have across the board now, you have BC, Manitoba, Alberta. Here in Ontario, we have our Ontario chapter, and then we have Hamilton and Ottawa. And recently this year, I think London, uh, the mayor officially declared April Sikh Heritage Month. And then internationally, we have like England and Australia. So it's really caught on and it's really spread. And April is very significant for um, Sikh, for Sikhs across the world. It's where the Khalsa was born, where, you know, Sikhi, uh, essentially the root of Sikhism started. It was April 13th, 1699. And that's why April was chose, chosen as the month. Oh, cool. Yeah. So it's, it's really great because since then, um, it's also being able to bridge this gap, I find, and Ruby, I think you can probably also um, touch on this as well. Growing up, you kind of had one or two places to go 
uh, to practice Sikhism or to learn about Sikhi. So you go into the Gurdwara, which is our, you know, where we go to learn about Sikhism. Um, and it was also officiated by older people. Sometimes there was a language barrier between generations, but outside of that, there was nowhere to go. Whereas now when we started Sikharaj Month, we realized this next generation of youth and young kids, my God, they're incredibly talented. And they have this way of melt, like um, blending Sikhism in a really creative way. So whether it's art, artists, performers, uh, poets, spoken word artists, uh, people that do seminars and people that are just heavy in the research of, of different aspects of Sikhi who can speak so eloquently to it. We have this beautiful combination of older generation, younger generation, and we've been able to bridge that gap. And we've been able to celebrate in this really beautiful way. And it's given the youth a chance to step forward, to present their art, to present their craft, to be creative, uh, to get out there. And we've just seen launch pads like, you know, people like Rufi Gar, who's born and raised from Brampton on an international level. And she she started in Brampton and she started in one of these kind of grassroots organizations. And now every year she comes to Sikharish Month and she speaks about her experience and she comes back and, and talks about how it started here and how as, as a youth, she was given the opportunity and a platform like Sikharish Month to speak and, and present her art. So it's been an incredible journey. I started off as a volunteer for Sikharish Month uh, solely. Uh, I became the chair back in 2020, but because of the pandemic, we had to cancel all of our oh, yeah. obviously and very quickly revert to a very ad hoc online um, schedule. But this year we actually plan to do all online events. Uh, so we're well prepared, um, much better than last year. Mike, so, Mike, did you have a question? Because I, I, I saw Mike's hand. Yeah, yeah, I was just, um, I, so I grew up in Malton and what I would see is, is I thought I saw a lot of growing for the community as I was, as I was living there. I remember when I was young, um, there was a school called Malton Public and, and they bought Malton Public and made it their church or temple. I'm not sure, sorry for my ignorance, um, what, what it was, but I know sometimes I used to go there with some of my friends and, um, they had like martial arts classes in there and, and what I what I noticed from you talking and from Ruby talking you know during the weeks leading up to this is you say sick and I know growing up a lot of people would say seek and so I just wanted to know you know is there a different is it my accent or what is what is it you know so the correct pronunciation is sick mm -hmm. it's sick it's sickism it's sicky um, it's not Sikh. A Sikh is just, you know, a difference of accent or growing up. We probably all said Sikh um, as to not correct and not say it the correct way to kind of avoid any conflict or just make it a little bit easier for our, you know, non Punjabi speaking friends. Uh, but the correct term is sick. That is the pronunciation. And that's why you'll say, you know, sick, sick, S-I-C-K. We're not sick. We're sick. <laughs> and, I, and I think that's the same for our names. Yeah. Um, and I feel like now there's this empowerment to kind of own the correct pronunciation, the correct enunciation of how it's supposed to be. So even myself, like as I was leading up to this episode, I would go between Sikh and Sikh to try to accommodate somebody's understanding of how they may have heard it before. Wasn't confusing but, at all, by the way. Yeah. And, and I think, <laughs> but that's the accommodation you're like you learn as you're growing up in, in, in this culture, in this community, um, to accommodate for people and how they hear a term. And, but it's also, I see now as my responsibility to educate people and to own what it is as it's supposed to be said. So sick or amninder, uh, mandeep, um, you know, and even a lot of people say jagmeet, it's jugmeet. So it's really kind of having that empowerment to stand up and say, hey, let me just educate you on how it is because I've educated myself on it. I've also not been embarrassed by it. Now I'm, you know, I'm, I have the sense of pride about it. So. And, and, and like, I'll, I'll say that like, you know, I wouldn't want to be accommodated. Like I'd rather be taught the right way to say it, to like feel inclusive and like, not like, I don't basically I don't want you to accommodate me like I want to know the proper way to say it like I want you to teach me how to do that tongue thing so that I can pronounce all the names and everything <laughs> proper like I, I enjoy that part so by all means like share your culture or like get that out there because I was taught to say seek and like I'm like if that's not correct I don't want to say that like I, I make me feel like an idiot if I, I was around a bunch of sick people and I was saying that so like I don't want to say that 
And that's so wonderful to hear because I think growing up, we didn't feel that we could actually correct somebody or say our names correctly. So like we'd be saying it was, you know, Amrinder, it, it was Mandeep. Really isn't Mandeep, it's Mandeep, right? But I, I, same thing, I grew up never correcting my teachers, never correcting my schoolmates. But it's such a nice thing to hear that someone's saying, you know, I actually want to say it correctly. Please correct us. Tell us how it is. Whereas we didn't have that growing up. Kids were more, you know, kids are kids, right? Like yeah. they mm. of stuff. They pick on the littlest things. Doesn't matter if your name, something else. It was whatever it was to fit in, whatever it was to make our lives easier and just not have the attention go there. It was kind of like, let's just move in that direction. I think that's where that stems from. Whereas now it's completely the opposite. Like same thing. People are saying, tell us how to say your name. People are so much more forward with correcting and not feeling as bad. You know, in the workplace, here's a diversity inclusion specialist. Her name is Rita Basin. She's amazing. She's a lawyer by trade. um, And she left actually Bay Street Law and started the diversity inclusion business on her own. And one of her mandates was to actually go in. It's a program she does where she goes into these large, you know, companies and banks and and things and actually teaches uh, the executives as well as the employees how to approach that and how to approach, you know, saying people's names correctly and even through emails and just making sure you're getting, because I've been called Mr. Graywall, I think a million times in my life through work and, and thing, because people don't realize what my first name and my last name is. And they also, because of my name, because it has an M-A-N in it, Funny thing is, they actually assume I'm a man. It's like just really little things, but she actually works on 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 eliminating that in the workplace and making it much 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 easier for us. Uh, and then and making you know creating this understanding between kind of management colleagues and then everybody else too. So there's lots of things that have changed. I think Ruby, I would say in the last 20, 30 years for sure. So I actually want to take a step back because I feel like I didn't do uh, Sandy justice with her intro. So, so I want you guys to know this, this woman is phenomenal. Like, I've never seen her tire. Like, I'm the person that stands on the side and just viewing like the community. And she is like a person, an individual that takes grassroots movements and really mobilizes them. Like, I've seen her be so engaged, like, I actually participated in the, um, in that leadership forum that I think you uh, moderated and you're a part of, and I got to see Ritu speak about authenticity. Like it was amazing. Mm-hmm. Like she, like even in the bio that Sandy gave me does not do justice to what she really contributes to the community. Like I think this, she is an individual that really steps up. And when I say mobilizes, like she gets people together to get things done. And whether it be the elections we've been a part of, whether it be like the community events, whether it just be, you know, kind of putting the awareness and education out there through, through you know, running, you know, Save a Food Bank, through running other community charity initiatives. Like, I can't speak highly enough of Sandy and she doesn't know that I actually look up to her and I'm like, because we have uh-huh. common, you know, friends. She's, you know, friends with my cousin and her you know, significant other. (laughs) And I just think, you know, if I was to aspire to be just a snippet and have the energy of an individual, it's, it's this, this woman right here. So I didn't do justice to the intro. (laughs) I've never seen you this emotional before. It's really strange. No, because it's so cool. I'll tell you why it's so cool. Because in the community, when we go back to the comment you made about you know, us learning growing up 80s, 90s, and a lot of our education being in the, you know, the Godwaras, the temples, and from our elders. So at the same time, it was a lot of conservative, conservative learning. So imagine like, you know, our immigrant parents coming here, and really holding on to, you know, what is our faith and our culture, and then really being afraid of losing that. So that's where I think a lot of the discipline, and the conservativeness, came from so we weren't really able for my experience really explore the beauty of our faith and when we have things like Sikh Heritage Month now that explore the you know the poeticness the the music the artistry like I didn't have that kind of exposure to realize that actually stems from our Sikh faith from our gurus and what they um, actually you know began with like our whole scripture is is poetry and I didn't realize that growing up till till now. And there's platforms now like Sikh Heritage Month that really take communities from the Gudwara 
where it could be a very conservative learning and feeling like you know you're being judged and you have to be really rigid in the rules and the regulations of what the faith some individuals interpret but having to now be able to say no you you can be expressive you can be you know you can be anything and understanding those fundamental um, philosophies of the faith. So I think that's my learning from where I've come from in the 80s and 90s and really struggling with what the faith is and kind of also accommodating in the sense to be with, you know, uh, what the community or the growing up in, you know, a lot of the white communities and going to school and kind of being afraid of expressing who I was and also because I didn't learn who I was. Can, can, can we kind of explore that a little bit more because I feel that we didn't do enough justice and we might have glossed over like I really want to know more about like what the Sikh faith is and then like more about the origins. I feel like there's a great you know story around that and I'd love to hear more. Uh, I can start off. So again, like we mentioned before, by all means, this is, you know, Sikhism, Sikhi is very personal. Uh, so this is kind of my um, interpretation, my understanding of it. This is how I've grown up thinking of it. Um, and again, like, I don't want to hurt anyone's sentiment in the community, but just, you know, it very simply put, very high level put, if I really want to you know, do a 30 second Coles note version of Sikhism, it's a very young religion. It's a very young faith compared to some of the world religions out there. It's like only a little more than 500 years old, I would say, compared to uh, some of the other older um, um, faiths out there. Um, and it's kind of, you have to understand the landscape at the time uh, when this was born. Uh, there's a lot of oppressive regime. There was dictatorship. There was just oppressive rule. No one went, went against the, the oppression. No one spoke back. No one pushed back. It's like, if you push back or say something against what's happening, it was like automatic death. Like it was very stern, very strict kind of an environment. And Sikhi grew out of challenging that. So it's not like a, to me, it's not a hunky-dory, lovey, you know, religion or a faith to follow, which a lot of the times that's what you kind of, that's what kind of gets out there is actually really rebellious. And so the first Guru Guru Nanak Dev Ji, he was, in my view, he was a rebel um, in a very positive way, I would say, because he actually challenged a lot of what was happening. And so, for example, at the time, you know, there was things like really hollow rituals and traditions that were not connecting you to the divine, but were more like just very worldly things that you were doing for the sake of doing, but there was no meaning to them. They were very empty. And he was challenging those. And to challenge those, even at the young age that he did, was a huge thing because no one challenged religion. No one challenged spirituality, but he did that. And that was a really big, big deal. And then he forwarded you know, beyond that, he wanted to make an, a space that was inclusive, that uh, promoted equality. There was lots of caste discrimination, lots of discrimination against women that was going on. There was very archaic practices like sati, which was when a woman's husband died, she would sacrifice herself on a funeral pyre. There was parda, which was covering wow. your face. And he really went against that saying, we cannot do this. We, we need to elevate um, the women in our lives and we need to uh, uh, you bring them equality. And he was dead against it. Uh, which again was a huge thing to go at the time. Uh, he brought up social justice issues. He stood up, stood up for human rights. And if you just go through our history, and I don't want to get into like, it's such a long um, winded history, but it was a lot about just creating connection to divine, getting outside of this whole, uh, this hollow kind of empty ritualism and really just standing up for oppression, standing up for those in need, doing good by people, Doing seva, seva is a huge component of Sikhi. It's selfless service. And it's really important to say selfless service because it's not something you do. It's not transactional. It's something you do to simply help somebody else because you can. Uh, there's no give or take. There's not, I do this for you. You do this for me. And I was on a live yesterday with Ravi Singh from Khalsa Aid, who's a huge humanitarian. And it's a huge organization that goes into like disaster relief areas and anywhere in the world that you need something, they're there. And he talks about the concept of seva as it's not, um, it's not simply giving food or water or just helping in that voluntary way. When you're helping someone and you're doing seva, you're actually giving them hope. Like it, it's much beyond just giving of that piece of food or that bottle of water or whatever we do, which is also ingrained in Sikhi. Langar, which is like a communal kitchen, is a huge part. You go to any Gurdwara, you'll 
24 hours a day, you can walk in at 2am and someone will give you a huge plate of food. And that's kind of like the outwardly kind of superficial, you know, uh, voluntary act that we do. It's a huge part of Sikhi. But beyond that, he's saying it's not just that, it's just you're giving them hope. Um, mm. That's kind of in like a 30, 60 seconds and Ruby, you know, feel free to, to add on to that. But it's a very, you know, it was just, a, it was a rebellion of the time. It was going against everything that just seemed wrong. And it was just the base of it is just, you know, connection, your connection to the divine, always keeping that in mind and then just always doing good and being good. And those are universal. Like it's, if I said that just now about me, like you wouldn't be like, it's a religious practice. Yeah. It's someone's religion, like who's going to counter that or who's going to say, don't. Don't do volunteer work or don't help people. You know, it's very yeah. universal, right? And so that's what he was trying to begin. It's very worldly, Sikhi. Like our gurus got married. They held jobs. They made money. They understood that to live in the world, you must do these things. So we're not, we don't sit in a corner and, and give up the world and just pray all day, you know, 24 hours a day. It, it's very, it's very practical in that sense. They, all of our gurus were married, had kids you know, had jobs, had incomes, created jobs, things like that. So again, very practical, like in that sense, when you look at it from that, that lens. I think sometimes when people think about religion too, and um, being selfless, they assume that you have to give up on being part of life and participating. And it's super refreshing to hear, um, you know, that that doesn't have to be the case. And yeah, exact opposite, <laughs> like quite literally. So it's even in Gurunajya, when you retired, you know, he started farming. And that's why there's such deep farming roots uh, between between six and, and farming and their land as well, which you see now. Um, so, you know, it's a, a very, very practical, very real um, and, you know, very, you know, in that sense, very applicable, very universal, I would say. I believe you call the leaders of, of the organization gurus. Is, is that correct? And then there was there's a word that you you guys were using and I don't want to kill it and try to say it. But I think it's the place of worship that you, you go to. Yep. Can you can you guys you know kind of expand on that uh, for me and whoever? Else yeah. That yeah. Because like, I I, didn't, I don't want to yeah. say the word either because I feel like I'm gonna butcher yeah. it. And I'm so uh -huh. happy that Mike asked because I was like, oh, yeah. I don't know how to repeat that word even to ask the question. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Uh -huh. No, no. So the word is guru. So G U R U. Mm -hmm. um, and that is, we refer to the, the 11 uh, gurus because the 11th is our, our, our holy scripture, which Ruby mm -hmm. had mentioned earlier. So it's, that's the title that we've given, um, uh, that is to allotted to the 11 of them. And it's gu and ru is like uh, darkness to lightness. So gu oh. is darkness and then ru is light. So it's like from the dark to the light. Um, and even the word sick itself, sick means to learn. So uh, in Sikhism, as Sikhs, we are constantly learning. We are constantly on this journey to learn. Um, so that's kind of have that, that connection there. And then Gurdwara, it's G-U-R-D-W-A-R-A. -A. It is so the Guru, which is the divine. Mm -hmm. And Dwar uh, means door. So it's kind of like the door. Oh, to the and you'll often see, you know, four doors around each Gurdwara. And so it all kind of <laughs> has a happy connection there. Cool. I'm so happy you explained that. That makes okay. that makes a lot of sense. That's really cool. No problem. Hopefully, I got it right. <laughs> no, I, I couldn't have done me. it justice the way Sandy just described it. But. So, how does someone become the guru? Like, is it is are they picked? Is like is there a system? Like, how do like how like how does that come about? Because I know, like, in, like, like, I was gonna just—I'll just pick on Catholic, Catholic. Oh my God, I can't say it. Catholicism. Like, the Pope is voted in by like peers or something like that. Like, how does it work in Sikhism? So, from my understanding, and again, I don't want to get this wrong. I'm not an expert at all. So, it's more of a um, there's a divinity in each of the gurus that came through that was just felt by each of them, and then it was felt by everyone around them. The Guru Nanak Dev started and everyone noticed even as a child that there was something about him that was a little bit different and he kind of started the path and then it kind of passed through to each Guru, not by lineage. So it does it didn't necessarily go to like a, a kin or, or, or a relative. It, it went beyond that as well. There was one where there was two sons and I think the one son was overpicked over the other. So I think it was where the divinity was felt, where the divinity, so there was no election, there was no uh, ruling in or voting in it was just like a divine there's a they always say that it's the one light that passed through all 10 of the living gurus um and so it was that light that was felt in each one that was like this is the person that's going to carry on the name and they all did different 
um, things and were attributed to different accomplishments as their time. And we had gurus as young as like six years old, um, who, and some who died very young, and then some who um, you know sacrificed themselves in the name of social justice and religious um, freedom. So they're very different accomplishments of each, but they all left a different legacy, I would say. Oh, cool. Okay. And our 11th guru is our current guru, and there's no gurus after that. And the 11th guru is actually our scripture, our holy scripture. Um, so we say Guru Manyo Granth, meaning you, the Granth Sahib, which is the Holy Scripture, is who we now consider to be our live living Guru, because it embodies all the teaching, teachings and learnings of all the previous Gurus that have um, come together as, as that uh, last living Guru, which is the 11th Guru Granth Sahib. And interestingly enough, there's people from different religions who have actually contributed to the Guru Granth Sahib. So it's not just the Sikh Gurus and writers, there's Muslim um, contributors to that as well, which I think is really exciting. Um, and I think it just really speaks to the inclusiveness and just kind of the base of what Sikhi is, which is, you know, oneness um, and love, which I think is always, I've always found that fascinating. Different, but can you explain some of the traditions like the turban or the kirpan and, you know, um, kind of expand on that, that's my knowledge on it there. <laughs> so with the gurban and the turban, so I'll step back and start with the panjkakar. So these are the five Ks that are, you know, significant to being a Sikh and represent uh, different attributes to what it means to be a Sikh and symbolizes or reminds us um, uh, what we need to do in our day to day. So the five Ks being gays, which is hair, um, gurban, which is our or is a dagger. Um, uh, the other is gangav, uh, a comb for your hair. The other being kashara, which is a, a type of uh, underwear, essentially. And um, the last one being um, the kara. So the kirpan. Um, so all this, all the uh, all the five Ks represent something. So it's a reminder to. I would say let's begin with the, the kara. To me, it's a reminder whenever you raise your hand, you raise it for good. Um, the kashara is to remind you to, you know, not have lustful thoughts and really maintain uh, a level of, I would say, you know, focus on what is important in your know, family life um, uh, with that capacity. Gis is, again, you know, if, if you're you know, not to cut your hair, to uh, really be connected to the energy and rooted into that energy. And there's a belief, you know, that your hair is living. So if your hair is living, you wouldn't, you wouldn't cut it. It's, it's a source, you're naturally born with it. Um, and then the turban is what uh, you would wrap around your hair to protect it. And it's a turban is also a symbol of, um, you know, of a, of a crown, but I'll, I'll get back into what the turban is and I'll explain the other gagads, the other case. Um, and then the kirpan is the dagger, which is a reminder to always stand up for justice and be ready to stand up and fight for justice. So those are all the elements and that's why the kirpan is really um, important because going back to what Sandy alluded to, you know, our religion and our faith really began on challenging and standing up to oppression and having that dagger having that garbine is being ready to stand up and fight against oppression right so that is i would say like the baseline you know there's so much more to it but in, in the time we have it's just a very baseline understanding of it and i i saw that you both have um like bracelets like what, what's the bracelet called again yeah yeah and they look like they're matching so you'll, if you'll, you'll always know a Sikh um, by their kara first and foremost, because not everyone wears a turban and turbans can be worn met by men and women. Um, but the first thing you'll always notice is that anywhere you'll, you'll automatically be able to tell because everyone will be wearing, almost everybody wears a kara, I would say. Um, and then in terms of like the five kakar, like clearly me and Ruby are not wearing them right now. Um, but it's the initiated um, six, which is we can, I don't want to get into the whole um, idea of what that is, but I don't want to misspeak on it, but it's typically people that are initiated into um, that whole area 
sorry, I shouldn't have said that novel area, but initiated six wear the five gagad. Um, whereas if you're not initiated, it does not mean you're not a six, but you're just not at that, I guess, level ruby. I'm trying to not make it sound like there's a differentiation, like we're all still six. It, it sounds to me there's like, what, it, it sounds to me like um, there's some religions where like there's more fundamental people and they are like, I, I can only think of like, uh, Hasidic Jewish people where they they dress a certain more fundamental way yeah. uh, compared to like uh, I don't want to say like an ordinary Jewish person but like a Jewish person that's not practicing like that is is that kind of yeah probably something similar to that I would say okay and then who who who, who gives you the band the bangle like wh why do you like did your parents pass that to you like wh where did you get it from I'm pretty sure every sick baby that's born uh, the first thing you'll see is a baby on them so you'll get it from your parents and it's very widely available you can get it from Gordore or there's even like six stores uh, bookstores and stuff that sell them so it doesn't have to come from a specific place um, but you can get them pretty readily and you'll see very tiny babies and infants wearing them and you just grow up so used to wearing them all the time like if I even happen to forget this before I go out I feel you know people's fates feel that of like, watches um, yeah. I feel very odd. Like I, I, I turned around many times, even halfway. Down <laughs> I was going to ask you that next. I'm like, have you ever got, cause I, I feel like that on my cell phone and I'm, I'm like a watch that. guy too. Yeah. So I'm like, if I don't have the watch on, I'm like, uh, very, very, very strange feeling. Just like for me personally, I think a lot of people feel that way, but it's like one of those things where you, it's always on you. And it's just, you know, even you you see someone with a kara, you see someone with a with a pug. It's like again that it comes back to like what Ravi Singh was saying. Like there's hope, and that was the whole thing with the guru. Like when you see a sick, and the reason we stand out, the reason we have this identity, because nobody else had it. No one had, and I think Ruby mentioned the crown aspect. And people that wore turbans back in the day were only royalty, high caste, like completely up there that no one else could even get near. And the Guru said, no, we want to bring that to everybody. Everybody should be, you know, everybody deserves a crown and everybody deserves that connection with the divine. And when you see a sick from afar, you should know that you are safe, uh, that you will be helped. Uh, we've seen stories here in Canada of guys taking off their turbans and throwing them into water and saving people from drowning. Like there's, there's a hope there that when you see wow. us, you know that you're automatically in good hands, you're safe, you're taken care of. And that was the whole thing is that with everybody else kind of looking the same, they really, you know, the gurus really want to focus on identity because that was, you know, mentally at that time, it was like, you see a sick and you are like, no, things are okay. Things will be okay. And Ruby, I got to say, you kind of make me feel safe and taken care of, like whenever we've been around each other. So I think you're doing a really great job. And I just want, I want you to know that. Thank you, Jordan. And then, you know what? It's beyond me. And I think we're all uh, connected and I really believe in that energy. And, I, and that's what ties us all together. It's that energy that we're all a part of, right? And that's what it is. It's the universal energy and the creation that we're all living and existing. And I think um we you know it just I think naturally it's embedded in all of us to do good and do better and to help our neighbor uh, I think along the way it gets lost because we get consumed by our own kind of our own needs and our own kind of me 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 oh, that yeah. you have to be mindful of hey I'm here to help whoever needs to help needs help right I'm here to be present and be there for 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 my friends like you, Jordan. So whatever you need, I'm there. <laughs> but uh, Sadie, I wanted I wanted to kind of transition from. Um, so you know, I wanted to make sure we answered Mike's question around the turbans, and then I also wanted to kind of transition into the awareness uh, you kind of cultivated and curated through Sick Heritage Month. So you know, the turban being a crown and being a very uh, identifiable. Uh, symbol in the Sikh community, um, you know, giving an, uh, giving the ability to tie uh, Sikh turbans uh, down in Dundas Square or at Sikh Heritage Month, the different colors. And I think that is a really cool, um, cool event that started a few years ago. And now is also present in Sikh Heritage Month. I remember going to one of the, one of the sessions, and it was just layers and layers of cloth and in any color that you know had individuals come that normally wouldn't have worn a turban to experience that 
Um, and I think the sense of pride oh. anybody feels is when they do wrap that cloth, it's just like, wow, you, you stand differently. Uh, you feel differently. Yeah. So I wanted to talk about things like that, where there's awareness and exposure to what the Sikh identity is and what you kind of curate in the Sikh Heritage Month, the events that are coming up. I think it's important, like you mentioned, having these, you know, turban tying days that started up a few years ago from a bunch, like a youth group that came up and said, we want to do this in Tantas Square, we want to give access to everybody, and at the same time, teach them about Sikhism, teach them about uh, the, the fog of the turban, um, and I think it comes back to that, what I was talking about earlier, it's just this, um, just lack of awareness, not knowing, and the fear that gets created just by the unknown, so it's not necessarily hate, it's not necessarily you know, doing it on purpose, it's more so because you don't know something, what's the easiest way to challenge it, make fun of it, or, be, you know, discriminate against it. And that's kind of how we grew up. Like I grew up with lot, very long uncut hair, my hair was up until my knees. And I'm a female not wearing a turban. And I used to get picked on all the time, because it was only, you know, I was one of two girls in grade two to six that had this massively long braid that would whip everybody in the way every time. I <laughs> And, you know, having to explain that as a six, seven year old, I just, I'm, that's my religion. I'm not allowed to cut it. Well, why aren't you allowed to cut it? I don't know. That's what yeah. will be, right? Like, and that's our parents. To your to knees? To my knees, to my knees. And fun wow. fact, fun fact. So I kept my hair until I was 18. I cut it when I was 18, had a complete mental breakdown when I cut it. I didn't realize how attached I was to my hair. Immediate regret, regret. didn't tell anybody for, I think months on end, I still kept it up. I was so terrified. Um, and then I came back into regrowing my hair in 2012, 2013. Um, so even though it's uncut for like eight years, you can't tell it's not quite to my knees. I'm trying to get it there. But um, I came back into like not cutting my hair the last like seven, eight years again. Um, but yeah, and I still have my original hair that I cut. I couldn't I couldn't part with it. I couldn't, I couldn't throw it out. It's like the weirdest thing, but I still, I'm 40 years old. I still have my hair when I cut my How much are you spending on shampoo? Like, do you own a shampoo company? I, my hair is my, I spend a lot of time on my hair. Yeah, and it looks great. That's why I'm like, wow. <laughs> that's all bad time. No white hairs, knock on wood. I just turned 40 this year. I try so hard to maintain it. But anyways, come back to that point. It's like, you know, I was, I constantly had to feel these questions as a kid, not really knowing why, but knowing that it was so important, knowing it was such a big part of my family. My mom was my first sick role model. She never cut her hair. She was constantly um, rooting herself in Sikhi, which is where I think I, myself and my sisters got it from. Um, but on the flip side, like my dad's hair was cut. So it was like that really typical immigrant story. That's very typical for a lot of Sikhs where like dad cuts his hair and mom doesn't. But I used to think it was hypocritical going up, but I realized so many years later, my dad actually had to cut his hair because when he came to Canada, they told him in order to get a job, there's no way you can do it with oh. your turban on. Mm. I remember when the police... It. it was a huge sacrifice. Oh, yeah, my yeah. God. Yeah. yeah. I even have a friend that's a, that was a boxer and, and he yep. did a big... Sandy um, knows him, I think. Yeah. Huge story that came out. He fought it tooth and nail. And yeah. These, yeah. these are the things when we think back, I used to think oh man, my dad's such a hypocrite, he cuts his hair and we're not allowed to cut her hair, blah, blah. But I realized so many years later as an adult, man, first of all, you're an idiot, Sandy. But secondly, like it must've really hurt him to do that. And it's funny because 15, 16 years ago when he was about to retire, uh, he started keeping his hair again. Uh, so nice. I kind of came back full circle and now he's been a full, you know, six of that. It's so great to see. And I, you know, obviously he comes from a, a sick family and I know that although they're no longer in this world, they would be so happy to see it all come full circle. But that was the advice he was given, quite frankly, mm -hmm. from his peers and his brother that were here a couple of years before him saying, you're not going to get a job. You're not going to make it if you look like that and you have to get, get rid of your bug. And that's, to me, it's like just saying that you, you get so emotional because you're like, you know, that's who you are. That's your identity. I can't imagine someone forcing me to change who I am, uh, whether internally or externally, just for opportunities. But they did it because yeah. they just sacrificed everything to come here to give us opportunities. But things like Sick Heritage Month, then it makes that um, sacrifice kind of not go in vain, I would say, because we've now come to this point where we have you know, people in parliament with these massive, beautiful colorful turbans. We have defense ministers. We have like literally the highest of the highest points in this country. We have someone there who is of, of, of sick faith. And that just to me, like, 
it makes that sacrifice all worth it. Cause I'm like everything he worked so hard for everything he sacrificed, this is what he did it for to make those opportunities um, for the upcoming generation so that they could practice their faith fully and stand in, you know, the, the parliament of Canada uh, with a massive turban on their head and with no, with no looking back and, and nothing to, to be sorry about. Right. So, and that sounds pretty selfless to me. I would think so. I, yeah, that's true. Um, and Sandy, yeah. you, use, you use two terms right now. You use sardad and bug. So for our listening audience, sardad yeah. is a term you use in Punjabi to identify a male that has a bug, which is a turban, and a dadi, which is a beard. So oh. that is what a sardad is. And a bug is a turban. And a sardani is a female equivalent of someone who yeah. uh, is also a female equivalent so yeah. is there any reference to the color of the turban no no so you can wear any color it's you don't wear red when you're angry you don't wear yellow when you're happy. <laughs> you wear any color or you're in love or in love yeah red for valentine's day uh there's no association with anything with the color uh, but you could you could color match it if you wanted to Absolutely. You can color match your shirt. You can color match with your significant other. You can color match to, you know, people wear green for uh, St. Patrick's Day. It's all like just random. <laughs> so you can do that. Absolutely. But there's no actual stick significant, um, significant, sorry, to any uh, color like that in terms of the different colors you wear. Um, orange, which is a firm of orange. That is just a very uh, symbolically sick color. It's always being part of our flags and oh, okay. the But again, like wearing an orange, uh, you'll see people like at the the Day parade in August that usually happens, which is now canceled because of COVID. Everybody's encouraged to wear red or blue because that's kind of the the Kalsa colors. But again, anybody can wear any color at any time. There's no there's no significance to that. And Monday, you said something very interesting, like um, you know. A, a- a little while ago, I, it was it was kind of beautiful. You, you mentioned your relatives and not being in this world, and I I thought that was a really eloquent way to put that. Um, I I had questions around uh, you know Sikhism in the afterlife and and what are the beliefs uh, you know around the afterlife because a lot of different religions have different beliefs. So I'd I'd love to hear um, you know the the Sikh uh, standpoint on that. Not not to put you on the spot or anything, but yeah. again, prefacing the fact that you're not speaking for the entire religion. No, but... okay. uh, all very, very high level. There's no concept of hell or heaven. So if you're bad, you're not getting sent to hell. If you're good, you're not going up. The understanding is that when someone passes on from the worldly life, that you reconnect with the divine energy, which is where you came from. Very simply put, you're not, you're not going to someone or something. You're not going to a certain person or a certain area in the world. You're simply this merging back into that divine energy um, for wh- from which you are sent. That's kind of high level what I can kind of say about that. I don't know, Ruby, if you have anything to add on to that. Yeah, and I think the only thing about, about that, and there's often the heaven and hell terminology, but it really isn't that. It's even our life existence today on earth is to do everything we can to merge with that energy, right? Our whole objective and this path is how do I become one? one with that with that light with that energy and it is the hope that the life we've lived today uh, and when that life ends that that's where it'll transition to right um it's it's not this diabolical sense of you know satan or angels or it's just how do i become one with that energy and how do i pass to that and in the existence and it's in the existence you live today in this life that you do have that's great. Thank cool. you very much for that. That was awesome. It makes sense now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm so happy. Like I, I, I like I, I've said before in the past. Like I really like learning about new things, and like I'm, I'm so happy that we're talking about this because it's just an opportunity to ask questions that like I would have felt scared otherwise to ask, and like it, it's I've learned even so much just for us briefly chatting. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty pumped. <laughs> So Sandy, um, I just want one closing comment from you. Like, what is your objective for Sick Heritage Month? And where do you see it going? And what else do you think that needs to be done to get that awareness? And then also within our community to get to get that education to a lot of young Sikhs who are 
you know, in our time when we were struggling, you know, I shared the same similar story around cutting my hair because it was, you know, going to school I actually had a patka and a turban. So a patka is like, um, you know, often kids wear a wraparound cloth around their turban. So when I was like maybe in kindergarten grade one, I had a, a patka and a turban and I didn't understand the concept. Um, but then kids would make fun of me, they'd call me a boy, and I still didn't understand what that was. So hair was such a big element. Um, and then when same thing, when I did cut it, I felt like lost. I felt like, what did I do? Um, but I think, you know, like I said, like the Sick Heritage Month, the Sick Heritage, um, you know, platform and programming really does bring that awareness. So I'm just curious to see what's your objective? What, what is the long-term goal here? And what is the vision for, for the community and for the, for the movement itself? And I want to make clear, like Security Month is not just solely me. We have a team of people, great volunteers. I'm just one you know, small part of that and a volunteer myself. Um, but I think initially, like we said, Security Month started as a way for us to tell our story as a way to not just educate, but celebrate at the same time. And it's not just actually for six. The idea was to actually celebrate and integrate into the sick community, but as well as the mainstream community, because this is where the education comes in. It's not just, it's for us as well, because obviously our, our younger generation needs it and we need to get them involved. But we also wanted the mainstream community in Ontario to you'll recognize um, the contribution of six in Ontario. We have a huge contribution to this province. We've been here for a very long time. We have so much um, historical significance. We're such a dynamic part of the fabric here in the province that we want to get that story out. And then at the same time, just have a general education about Sikhism to the mainstream community say, hey, we're your neighbors. We're the people that are living right aside you. Our kids are going to school with your kids. And let's just, you know, let's celebrate and let's learn together. Um, so that we can get rid of this kind of, what is that? Who is that? Who are you guys? Who are these turban people we see, you know, talk, walking the streets? Like that way we open that up and that bit of fear and that bit of unknown um, is eliminated, I would say. And then you can just create that um, pathway for a dialogue to start. So like Jordan was saying, you know, I'm, I'm sometimes I'm scared to ask these questions, but I feel so comfortable. But how did that happen? It's because we opened up the dialogue and we were able to create a space. So Sick Heritage Month is essentially creating that space to celebrate all things Sick Heritage. And we didn't want it to be just the traditional way, which is how we grow up, just learning it at the Gurdwara because there were so many gaps there in terms of language barriers and understanding and just everything was done in a certain way, but there is no in-depth um, speaking to the youth about like what Sikhism is about. Whereas here now we have people who are so well-read, so much knowledge, people that have written books, people that have extensive research on all aspects of Sikhi. We have young people who are doing paintings and glasswork and art history and po poetry and all these kind of creative ways where they're getting Sikhi out into the mainstream um, and into their communities as well as the Sikh community. I think it just opens up this great opportunity to just have these dialogues with everybody to have that mode of education. And I think for the future, I wanna step out of just making it. So April is obviously significant. It'll all, always be Sick Heritage Month. We'll always focus on that, but I wanna go beyond April. Yeah, I don't want it to limit to April. So I think the future, future of Sick Heritage Month is, you know, bringing things year round, stepping into other events, stepping into other organized programming that we can kind of keep going as opposed to just limiting ourselves to April. April will always be important. We'll always focus on it. We'll always have events happen. We'll always celebrate the carriage month. But I think the carriage month, you can celebrate the carriage throughout the year. We have so many significant events um, and things that happen um, just from Sikh history that we can always touch on and we can talk on. But I think just to keep that going keep the youth involved. We've had some amazing, really young volunteers from like high school university who probably have never done any kind of organizing or in their life. And they've come and they've just, not just done it, but they've excelled. They've um, just, they shine, you know, when they're given a task and they're doing these things and they're um, trying to get programming and they're talking to people and they're doing their research. And I think to keep them engaged uh, is a great thing because I got engaged because someone engaged me. And now I see myself and I'm like, you know, if someone hadn't given me the opportunity when I was 9, 10, 11 to start organizing, I wouldn't have been here. And that's when my love of Sikhi, my love of my people, my love of my community really started. And that's to your point where you're saying before, I kind of do everything. I just 
it comes from this place of I always say this to my family and friends like I like if I was to die tomorrow god forbid I don't want to but if something was happening tomorrow at least when I'm gone everybody can say that you know she did as much as she could and I've always felt this sense of I want to give back to the community and just add as much value as I can as long as I can I'm physically able to, mentally able to, you know, uh, spiritually able to, whatever I can give back to the community is what I want to do. I want to go with no regrets. I want to be able to be like, I did everything I possibly can. I have zero regrets. I'm good with what I contributed to society. And that's why I want the youth to get involved younger because I want them to have that same sense of giving back to the community and not just the community, the community and the mainstream community and really start getting involved and just that feeling and that ties into Seva and that ties into Sikhi. So it all kind of comes full circle, right? Giving back to where you're from, giving back to your people is a, the biggest form of practicing Sikhi in a very real and tangible way. Thank you. Like you just encapsulated that so perfectly. <laughs> Thank you. Like, that's, a, that's a home run if I've ever seen one. <laughs> <laughs> And then I just want to just, I don't know if we define seva, but seva is a term we use to do, um, to, it's in service of others, it's service. And that's what seva is, right? So I think Mandeep, Sandy, like really you encapsulate what that means and what that is. Um, but does anybody else, else have any other questions? Because I think what I really want to get into now is the trivia and seeing what you guys have learned from Sandy, and I think Sandy, uh, it's, it's not to stump anyone. Well, I think my internet is going. <laughs> <laughs> so Sandy, we just, we do uh, a bit of trivia. We've done it a couple of times, and this is the first time I'm the one asking questions, but usually I can't sit back. I'm the one that just interjects when it's not my turn. So it's going to be the other end of it. So we'll see. Uh, who uh, does well. I think yeah, I, I, I'll step up. I'll totally step up. <laughs> All right. So the first question is, if I can read you my writing. <laughs> no, it's, it's not really format, formatted okay, okay, in a okay. pretty way. <laughs> I wanted the answer. That's what I wanted. Uh, <laughs> you want to share your screen, <laughs> So what was the birth year of the Khalsa? meaning the Sikh faith? Uh, 1521. So I'll, I'll, do, I'll do multiple choice. Yeah. A, 1699. B, 1799. Three, uh, sorry, C, 1899. Or D, 1999. A, I think A. Yeah, 1699. That's I right. answered first, though, so I get the point, right? <laughs> that is. It's not yeah, fair. Ross can't be on any math question. She's a genius. <laughs> it's not a math question. Not at all. That is so. Far I was going to answer five hundred years ago. So. Ah, uh, yeah, that's not the year, that. though. She asked for a year. That yeah. would have been complete. That that would have been just like a forfeit. <laughs> just so what? you know. All right. So, what is the meaning of the term "sick"? A teacher. B, disciple, C, warrior, or D, uh, I'm just going to make up a word, D, because uh, it says renunciant. I copied this from the internet. I pick B. <laughs> warrior, warrior. I pick B. C. Disciple. Any other answers? Wait, is disciple, is it student? Wait, I want to say. No, 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 no. I don't know which one was Okay, learning. whatever. I pick B. B is what I picked. I'm always C. learning. That's Say, what do you say? None of them. Yeah, yeah. Disciple, student, no. Disciple? Okay, all right. Okay, all right. All right. Okay. Okay. Another point for me. That was a, a bit, disciple. A disciple is a, a student. That's that's a strike. A learner. That's a real strike. Ah, uh, yeah. I learned. I used a different word, but she's right. She's learner. Using the, the. I said. I said technical. learner. I. I actually. But it, it was multiple it. choice, Mike, and you didn't say B. If yeah, all of them were wrong. I love doing trivia. This is awesome. I'm so happy that like, I, I'm not um, leading it this time. Let's go, Ruby. Next question. All right. So this is going to be an interesting, uh, fun fact to learn, I think. Um, so how many six fought in World War I? A, none. B, 1,300. Three, 130,000. Or D, 53,000. D. 130,000. Epic C. Jordan got it. 130,000. Me too, right? 
Yes. Yes, I think it's the same thing. Okay, good. No, no, I said it first, Ross. I said it first. You did say it first. Okay, 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 okay. You get it, you get it, you get it. You said it first. You got it. You finally got a point. All right, guys. So who is Narendra Singh? Oh, wait. Can you explain that, though? Can you explain what happened there? Why the Uh, Yeah, so in World War... So in World War I and World War II, um, many Sikhs were a part of the British Sikh uh, Indian Army Regiment. So in World War I... um, Six made up 20% of the British Sikh Indian Army um, who fought in many wars because British colonized India. So Sikh, the Sikh regiment was a part of many wars and battles they fought. So that's why there's a significant number of Sikhs that fought in World War I and World War II. Um, and the cool thing about it is you'll actually see, and there's been recognition of a lot of soldiers that lost their lives in battles. Um, being, you know, when you go to, let's say, Flanders Fields and having the tombstones. So the Sikh faith, we actually get cremated. But at that time, when they were in war, like that wasn't something I would say was respected or considered. So there's a lot of burials of Sikh uh, soldiers in a lot of um, the places that they had battles. So it's really, really interesting history. And and it goes and ties into, you know, the six always just standing up and being warriors and being s- strong um, and ready to even in that time for for the British Empire kind of fighting on that behalf. So question, who is Narinda Singh Gopani? And I might be saying his last name a little incorrectly. I mean, Kapani or Kapani? You didn't cover this. I know. Is, okay, fine. Is but he the group? Is, 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 is that the guru? Nope. And you know what? We did kind of cover this because I've spoken about it. You know, I will say from a technical. Oh, you sound aspect. like my wife now. Like you probably oh, spoke about it. Oh, the person that invented fiber fiber optics, or yes, oh, Come on, Mike wasn't even on. Like, come on, he wasn't. So even he was. He actually studied at Imperial College, and he worked with Harold Hopkins on transmission through fibers. So he was responsible for achieving good image transmission through a large bundle of optic fibers for the first time in 1953. With a laser. I gotta say, I love fiber optics. Yeah, so he is yeah. the fi- he is the father of fi- fiber optics, and he's of the Sikh faith. All right. So last last question. Wait, Six- wait. Is it is it is it even mathematically possible for Micah or I to win? I feel like Roz is about to leave at this point. <laughs> you can still try. I, I've never got a point in trivia in any of the times. No, you got the point on the Everything Hair episode with, um, I think it was Shrinkage. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, Mike's shrinkage. a master of Shrinkage. Yeah, yeah that's great. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go. Next you want question. contacts in, you're going to have to listen to that podcast. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I really want to watch how this is going on. <laughs> All right. So last question. Six believe in A, being in the service of others. A. A. B. We are all one as a human race. C, oh, yeah, earn an honest living. Or D, all, all of above, all the above. I win, I win. You, no. you all gave wrong answers. You all gave wrong answers. No. I win. No. This was a great team effort. You guys all <laughs> team did. Effort? Phenom- phenomenal. I do not believe in that. No, Ruben, please announce the winner. Thank you very much. You're supposed to be selfless. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you see, you see? Yeah. I'm not I'm not very religious. So please announce the winner. <laughs> the announce, I will announce the winner. I think we're all winners on this Roz one because we learned a winner, a lot. only because I heard of the most. <laughs> <laughs> I also got like four points. Yes, you did. I, I didn't keep track. I'm sorry. So it's that's okay, why I, I, I should be the participant. I'm with, but, I'm with thank you. I feel like I feel like Ross lightweight cheated. so much. This answered so many of my questions from when I grew up. So this was great. So Sandy, really, really want to thank you for your time today. And we're so share, we're gonna share the Sick Heritage Month link and to show everybody what the programming oh, is for the coming month. Thank you. But I really want to thank you for your time and your insights and being able to articulate and really giving the vision to what Sick Heritage Month is and also, you know, our community and kind of what our experiences have been. So thank you. 
thank you guys for your time. And I'm humbled and honored that you considered me worthy enough to come on the podcast and talk about this stuff. Because I don't know, sometimes I think I'm maybe a little out there, but uh, I do appreciate that. And thank you for your kind words, Ruby. I'm really I'm, I'm always going to be a fan girl, so well, don't I'm, even. <laughs> I'm a nobody. I'm just a volunteer. I'm just a small speck in a very you know large world, just trying to do my part. But I really appreciate your words. They very much touched me. Very kind of you to say that. Um, and, you know, let's keep working together. Let's keep making the world a better pace. And I'm going to keep doing my thing. And you guys keep doing your thing. And I appreciate the opportunity to come speak to all of you and meet all of you. It was really incredible. So thank you all of you for, for oh, the time. It was great. Time. I truly thank enjoyed so that. Much. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. And enjoy the rest of your Easter long weekend and your Sunday. And hopefully, you know, everyone gets some fresh air. Oh, yeah. <laughs> thank yeah, you. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Bye. 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 This has been the Technically Diverse Podcast. Remember to hit subscribe on whichever app you prefer to get your podcasts. You can also connect with us on various social platforms. On Twitter, you can follow us at TechnicallyD. On Instagram, you can follow us at Technically Diverse. Or if you prefer to watch, subscribe to our YouTube channel that shares the same name, Technically Diverse. We also love getting feedback and ideas, so if there's anything you'd like to see, you can send us an email to technicallydiverse at gmail.com. Thank you.